In this episode, Ryan and I discuss part four, equipment financing, and Nelson's first book, Becoming Your Own Banker, and specifically common questions regarding interest and loan repayments. And we had fun doing so. Thank you for listening. Okay, welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. And today, Saturday, beautiful downtown Alvarado, Texas, young Mr. Griggs shows up with a topic. And so, we're going to talk about the equipment financing. Yeah, a common question, a super common question, just in new conversations with new clients, uh, about the idea of, quote-unquote, paying the life insurance company back more in interest than what they normally charge or what they do charge on a policy loan. Right, so in equipment financing, part four of Nelson Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, uh, which is a very substantive chapter, one that people often refer to a lot, uh, Nelson shows uh, two different scenarios, one where an individual, a logger, is financing his equipment through uh, a conventional lender called Associates Finance. And then uh, Nelson shows this individual financing some of that equipment through uh, a life insurance through the IBC method. Um, and there's a common, we, we get a common question uh, about this part of the book uh, and about policy loan repayment in general. I thought it might be a good idea to take the day and Talk about it. Well, I, you know, uh, equipment finance and an even distribution of age classes um, are the favorite parts of the book for me, my favorite parts of the book. <clears throat> but you can, um, we can unpack equipment financing for several hours. Yeah. But uh, specifically on the interest, I mean. I remember when we first met and we're doing some of our very first calls years ago that you spent a lot of time with me on this particular section, walking through it, how you had done in the past with other clients. And it was very... And I should do that. I should create a module for client-only access because most agents don't really understand what's going on in those illustrations. Yeah. You know, and then that causes some noise. You know, in uh, illustration number one. So, and we can start wherever you want. You want to go through the uh, exhibit one on associates financing, what the logger is actually doing, <clears throat> or do you want to just break it down the additional interest, different points? What do you think? How far should we go? I, I, know, I mean, I know some people are somewhat familiar with this, but... Um, well, if we just, <clears throat> excuse me, if we just reference the uh, exhibit one, associates financing, you know, the first time I heard Nelson... Um, I knew who Associates Finance was. Hmm. Associates Finance has a history. I'll leave it at that. And I think their their leadership goes back to Sicily. Ah. Ah. Okay. So the logger, Eastern North Carolina, he's buying a new logging truck every four years. Right? And there's the, the financing sheet of one logging truck, Exhibit yeah. 1. It's a... Page 56, Part 4, if you're... Yep. If you ever can dig it up. So he's paying $65,790 for the truck, total down payment of $13,190, and he's financing $52,600 over 48 months, $1,500 a month, $1,502 monthly payments. Mm -hmm. And you can break that down line by line and 
Um, but at the end of the day, that's what's going on. Can't find an interest rate on there. Nelson used to say, if a businessman can't calculate an interest rate, he probably shouldn't be in business. <laughs> right? So we can get stuck on the interest. I had a conversation. Uh, I have fabulous conversations every day. But I had a conversation yesterday about interest rate versus volume. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very important conversation and remembrance and, and, uh, and consideration that uh, most of America, in my opinion, is going broke by volume at 3% rate, mm-hmm. you know, financing all their toys and things, which God bless them. I'm just saying. Okay. And, and so we can, how far do you want to go into that? 52,600 well, he's financing. Yeah. Every four years. And so that that's his payment, right? So Nelson is saying that this logger for for this particular truck is making a payment of essentially $1,500 per month to Associates Finance, the conventional lender. And he's doing this for a period of four years at a time. Every four years, and go back get a new truck, right? Refinance that's what Nelson illustrated. He's buying a new truck every four years for some time period, and then he... Right. Purchases another truck and then a bulldozer. But. And you stop just short of it. There is no interest rate on that conventional lender's spec sheet, but there it comes out to a little over 15%, right? And the life insurance company in this particular example was charging eight, right, for a policy loan. 15% of the conventional lender, 8% at the, uh, at the insurance company. Now, I, I make a point with people on an even distribution of age classes saying that you know Nelson was in my view what I what I can read from this chapter is that Nelson was attempting to uh, illustrate an apples to apples comparison right cash flows going to a conventional lender to pay for the the loggers equipment versus cash flows going to a life insurance company ultimately to pay for the loggers equipment right and so in order for Nelson to compare financing through a conventional lender through financing through a life insurance company, or to maintain a, a good example, regardless of the specific comparison, Nelson had to have even cash flows. Right? He had to if, and time periods and time period. If the individual's sending fifteen hundred dollars a month to the conventional lender, well, in the life insurance example, in order to have an apples to apples comparison, he needs to be sending the life insurance company fifteen hundred dollars per month, right? And what Nelson, ex- the way Nelson puts it in and even distribution of age classes, as he says, you know, why pay uh, just what the life insurance company is paying when you could pay more? So I'll, I'll, I'll go to page 52, and I'm going to read this short little paragraph here. It's on the right-hand side, page 52. He says, pay close attention to this point. It is vital that you understand that he must set up a policy loan repayment plan that equals or exceeds what he would have had to pay the finance company that he was using in the past. His life insurance agent should coach him that at this point that, quote, the policy loan interest rate is 8%, but we are, we are not going to play that game. We are going to call the finance company you were just using and ask them what you would have to pay if you financed it with them. This is what you are going to have to pay, end quote. Of course, the policy owner can tell him to get lost. I'm not going to pay any interest at all. It's my money. Or maybe he says, I'm only going to pay 3.9, just like you see on the TV commercials. Nelson then goes on to say, if either of these foregoing responses uh, come up, the life insurance agent needs to take him back to the grocery store example and explain it to him one more time. Uh, and I, so I think this is kind of the root of where a lot of difficulty stems. 
right? Is that people see? Oh, we, we're not going to play. We're not going to play that game. We're going to see. We're going to see what the finance company was charging was charging in a normal situation, a conventional situation, and that whatever that amount is, that's what the individual is going to pay. <clears throat> um, now, shortly thereafter, okay, just on page fifty-three, bottom of that very first paragraph at the top. Nelson says, it should be obvious that he, the individual, will repay the policy loan before the four years are up. The additional $1,500 per month becomes additional premiums and adds to the capital base. So there's really, it's really just two lines in this particular part of the narrative where he's, where he's setting up his example. There's a, another point later where he clarifies again, but it's a, it's a very quick turn from... Let's pay the life insurance company whatever the conventional lender was charging for the policy loan. And then very quickly, it's like, well, obviously, this means that the policy loan will be paid up earlier than when the conventional note would have been paid up. And so in, in this example, then, Nelson assumes that the difference between what would have been paid to the conventional lender and what went to the life insurance company in interest that the, the difference there, that goes towards what Nelson calls the capital base to additional premium, right? Um, and so I, what's happening here is that Nelson is assuming that the logger <laughs> makes some PUA payments when he's making loan repayments, okay, over those four years. Okay, the, the loan repayment per se is not contributing to policy growth. Right, a loan repayment is a loan repayment. Yeah, it's like, well, how much of the interest goes to my policy? There's, there's a lot of uh, questions that, that occur continually over and over and with equipment finance. You know why? I mean, you got to get past kind of why would I borrow my own money, which is a fallacy. It's not your money. It's a life insurance company's money. As soon as you pay a premium, it's their money. Uh, but you have a contractual right to access that. Um, and then and two, I want to back up because you pointed out obviously a couple of sentences there, right? If you go back to the very first part, page fifty-one of equipment financing, in the very first um, paragraph, now that we've established that a dividend-paying life insurance policy has all of the characteristics of a banking system, let's refresh your memory on the steps that it takes to get into banking. So unless that fact is established, right, and he takes you back a couple on page 52, he takes you back to the grocery store, if that doesn't make sense. Before you ever got to page 52, you had to read that. Yeah. And, and this is vitally important because most people don't understand life insurance and it's, you know, based on their understanding is based on someone else's misconception. And you don't have to be a life insurance expert, right? But you do have to have an understanding of what's going on in my opinion. And and I want to bring that out and, and then continue on that math is math. You know, there there is uh, always it comes up, well, we're in a low interest rate environment now. You can't do what he what he did, you know, in equipment financing. And Nelson addressed that with illustration number six in two thousand and ten. So and that particular company happens to be a direct recognition company. But and there's arbitrage going on there, right? If he's borrowing money from the life insurance company at eight compared to borrowing money from Associates Finance at fifteen, I mean that's arbitrage. So if I'm gonna take the same cash flow, fifteen hundred dollars a month, I'm obviously gonna pay down that loan quicker. 
right? No question about that. So then it's obvious that that continuation of the amortization table becomes PUA premium, mm-hmm. right? And or, depending on the company and the structure and the preference of the owner of the policy, right? Because he who has a goal makes the rules, right? The banker can do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. You know, if your policy can take additional PUA, you can have part of that premium uh, or part of that loan repayment be premium, right? So there's two ways that that can, there's actually more than two ways. There's three very simple ways that we can practice the infinite banking concept when there's a difference in interest rates, arbitrage. Um, either way, so today, you know, we can go finance things at 3.9, but the life insurance company may be paying or charging five or eight. You know, then you get into that conversation and debate, well, why would I do that? And we kind of had that conversation prior to turning the mics on this morning, mm. which I'm going to have to talk to the AV ninja and have him turn these things on prior to the <sighs> prior to the episode because there are some good things that goes on. So my point is this, that if you keep the same cash flow in the same time period and there's different interest rates, you're going to pay down the loan quicker. Right. I hope people get that. Like if the you got two loans, one at a higher rate, one at a lower interest rate, you got the same cash flow going to pay down each each note. Well, if you have the same cash flow going to the note at the lower rate, then you're going to pay that loan off first, right? It's going to be paid off sooner than it other, than the other one would have been, right? Well, that's what Nelson means is that he's he's still you know not, nothing's changed about the time period. Just like you said, every four years he's getting this truck, right? Right, and it's but but during those four years he's paid off the prior note. And he's continuing to 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 be an honest banker. Exactly. To continue right. to play, to continue to pay fifteen hundred dollars to the life insurance company. Now, just adding because, to his capital base. Right. Just and just because that money's going to the life insurance company doesn't mean it's all uh, loan repayment, right? If when you're sending money to a cash flow is a cash flow during the first during the first part of those four-year chunks, he's making loan repayments. And by the way, nowadays, whenever you make a loan repayment, that repayment goes to the principal of the loan, right? So you're actually not making, quote-unquote, interest payments per se throughout the course of the policy year, right? It's only at the end of the policy year that interest is collected, right? Which is a good thing. We want our repayments to go to the principal, right? Um, Well, there's interest being charged. There's interest accruing, but it's not adding to the balance, nor is the individual paying it, right? It's being tabulated. It's being accounted for, yes, but won't actually be paid. Well, there's a the difference the between charge being charged and paying. Yeah. But interest is accruing. It's accruing, yes. Okay. <clears throat> well, on page 58, and I know we're bouncing around, but, you know, if he continues, which he did... The $1,500 a month cash flow, which is $18,000 a year, and the loan is actually paid off because you're paying it off at 15 on a 8% loan. This additional interest is not really interest. It is additional premium capital that is paid into the policy that equals the interest that is being paid to the finance company. That is a reason that it is adding to the cost basis of the policy. If you have trouble understanding this, is what you said earlier, he pulled it out. You've got to go back to the grocery store on page 15 if you still don't understand. 
then contact him. God bless him. I don't know how he answered all of his phone calls all right. and all of his emails. Uh, so that, that comes from a footnote, page 58, footnote one, uh, and it's a reiteration of what's going on there, mm-hmm. right? There is some PUA being paid, uh, and it's not all interest. So I don't know. It just this comes up so frequently, like, and then the idea of paying more. In it, it's like the it's just I get the same thing with the idea of overfunding a contract, mm-hmm. right? Overfunded life insurance. It's like you can't overfund it. You know, the, the the contract allows you to pay what it says you you're allowed to pay. And then we're limited on how much life insurance we can have from all sources. You know, speaking of experiences, and you know, I as an all American individual. 18 or above, right? I can put dang near as much money as I want into the stock market. Just enter mm-hmm. their little suitability and in all of the requirements. But then uh, there's an additional layer of scrutiny. If I want to buy life insurance, I'm limited to how much right. premium I can pay, how much total enforce I can have from all sources. Or, for God's sakes, I'll mention the annuity word. If I want to purchase an insurance contract in the form of an annuity, the exact opposite of a life insurance you know, have a future income or an immediate income in a, in a life insurance contract. I'm limited. I mean, I can barely get through underwriting. Mm-hmm. Now, I can go put a million dollars in the stock market if I had it and I wanted to. Right. But I'm, I'm, I'm like listening. Uh, I mean, I've got to my financials have to go before some, you know, individual at the suitability department. They're going to say, "No, you can't do that." Yeah. I mean, it 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 boggles my mind. So speaking to the overfunded, which kind of triggers me from time to time, no, it's appropriately funded, the appropriate amount of premium as determined by you, whatever that is, is what you should be paying. Yeah. All right. So my opinion. Leslie, so it's in the same sense that you can't overfund a contract. You can't pay more in interest. You can't like tell the life insurance, company, look, I know you're charging me five or eight or whatever it is, but no, no, take 10. It's like. <laughs> They're not going to do that. Yeah, you, know? you could just tell them like, well, you know, just reduce my dividend on the outstanding loan if you want to pay additional cost for capital. <laughs> just, or you can, you can. I know I'm throwing stuff around here, but uh, or you can just, you know, buy stock company contract and oh. don't enjoy the dividend, yeah. or buy a mutual buy a policy issued by a mutual company that has. Uh, Recently demutualized. <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, and I should I should be clear. Look, the cash flows are the same. The time period is the same. It's who's performing the banking function. And Uncle Nelly's like, listen, boy, you make a pretty good living in the in the logging business. The banker's making a pretty dang good living off of you. Mm-hmm. So he shows him in equal comparisons. In my opinion, it's like. If you buy life insurance and put your money here, build your capital base here, not only can you finance these things, and he's very limited on what he could finance. This is a 30-pay life policy. He was only about um, 60% efficient. You know, he couldn't even get all the financing done that he needed to do with that policy. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, and then he has a bunch of income right. after it's all done. Do you think Associates Finance is going to send him $1 when he retires? One dollar, <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, but it's life insurance. How does it work? How do I do this? And 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 I get it. They're all legitimate questions. You know, the details do matter. Um, if you don't understand the concept, and then oh, the details don't matter. 
if you understand the concept. But I understand it's your money. It's very important. I get it. But if you look at illustration number one, that just shows that he's paying a life insurance premium for four years. All right. And then he stops paying the premium. And the key in the upper left on these uh, tabular details, um, thanks to yours truly, <laughs> it breaks down what he's doing. It's a young man. He's got a $15,000 paid up at 65 policy. It requires a $15,000 premium rounded, $1.2 million. And then he's paying $25,000 in PUA. And you see, or you don't see, a term rider on there. Not, there's, not a, there's not a term rider, a term policy anywhere in this book. Okay? That's how much PUA he could pay in premium without mecking in 2000. Right there, under that CSO table. So interest rates have come down, dividends have come down, and the CSO table has changed the commissioner standard ordinary tables. He talks about it, and he illustrates in 1958, CSO table. Uh, where'd that bad boy go? What are you looking for? The CSO table, 1958. <clears throat> I think it's later down, yeah. This is, this is why you should do pre-work before you turn the mics <laughs> on, right? There's just a 1958 CSO table in there. As a matter of fact, I just redid them. I had my EV Ninja redo that. There it is, uh, creating the entity on page 36. The Commissioner Standard Ordinary Tables. This is the, the life expectancy used to price life insurance at 1958. Those tables have changed because we're living longer. My point here is you cannot do what Nelson did with a $40,000 premium, a 31-year-old male, super preferred, paid up at age 65. Interest rates have come down. Dividends have come down. The CSO tables have changed. So now, in, even in my office, in your office, um, we use term riders from time to time mm -hmm. to raise the death benefit, to avoid the MEC, to allow a high... PUA premium without making. And I'm just making a point here. That does not mean, this illustration number one, does not mean that you should fund a life insurance, pay a premium for four years, five years, and seven years, or whatever it is, and stop paying and go buy another one. Uh, this is part of the reason Nelson said that he would, if he had the opportunity to rewrite the book, he would leave the illustrations out of it. It's confusing. And I'm not saying that it's only confusing. It brings clarity as well when you understand what's going on. <clears throat> I mean, what's happening here? You know, what happens at the end of the, the uh, fourth year in year five and beyond illustration number one? What's going on there? The premium is being paid because it's a 30-pay life policy. Whether that man writes a check for it or not, that premium is being paid. What premium? The $15,000. Mm -hmm, the base, yeah. Uh, which is a contractual obligation. The PUA is a contractual right the man has. Okay? So, <clears throat> how's that premium being paid? Surrender from paid up additions, cash values. All right, so, the premium's being paid, and then cash value's being surrendered. Mm -hmm. So, illustration number two, he just finances his first truck in year five. Right? And so, column three, line five, that's a net 34. Six. Six, six out, shorthand. The exhibit, the financing exhibit is $1,500 a month. This is an annual illustration, annual premiums, right? 
So that 34-6 out is shorthand for 52-6 out, 18,000 in, mm-hmm. right? So the net outlay is negative 34-6. The cash flows did not change. What changed is where the money was going to and where it was coming from and who is controlling the banking function. And then he just repeats every four years. Yeah. Now let me ask you this. And then just adds scale, one illustration to the next. Oh my gosh. So does that mean, you know, and I, I spoke about this over and over, and I'm really going to bring it out in clarity and in detail, but there's so much. It's like Nelson used to say, I'm like a mosquito in a nudist colony. There's so many things to talk about. Um, I mean, this is worthy. And well, and, and I think this is kind of where the confusion comes to of like, if I use my policy more, if I get more loans, I'll have better growth. Oh, yeah. Because you see from one to two to three to four up through five that the cumulative net outlay first second column from the right you know that very bottom number so how much money the individual is receiving from the life insurance company net of his premiums paid in in the first illustration it's 1.58 million Right, over the course of his life. The individual receives $1.5 million in change net of his premiums to the company. That number goes up. Uh, in illustration number three, $2.37 million. Illustration four, $2.67. Illustration five, $3.3 million. And so as you go from one illustration to the next, you see that the total amount of money that the individual receives net of premiums, right? So net of premiums. So he got all his money back. Yeah. Can, plus. Plus. That, that that net amount continues to go up and it's also the case that in each of these illustrations the individual's financing more equipment he's taking higher policy loans making bigger repayments but it's not <coughs> the repayment of the loan per se that's causing the growth in the cumulative net outlay at the end of the guy's life it's not policy loan repayment the the repayment or contribution towards the principal of a loan and the payment of interest, those two things by themselves do not cause growth in the contract. What's causing growth is the element that I pointed out in the on page 53, where, it said, where Nelson says it should be obvious that it'll re- repay the loan before the four years are up, the additional 1500 or more, right? If he's financing more vehicles, it's gonna be a higher repayment. Those regular monthly payments become additional premium. It's PUA. That what's causing the higher cumulative net outlay, illustration to illustration, what's causing the higher stream of passive cash flow later in life, what's causing higher cash values and death benefits is PUA premium, right? There's a greater PUA premium getting paid between each one of these illustrations. That's causing the values to go up, not the fact that he's collateralized cash value on its own. Right? Let's, let's, you know, I like that. When you said the additional capital above the premium that he's received, you've gone, you've gone down there to the end of age 84. Nelson kills this guy at age 85. Uh-huh. But before we get there, illustration number one, page 54, equipment financing, age 36. I'm sorry, age 65, year 36. Go to the right. Nelson highlights all this stuff, blackens out the columns. You can't miss it. And this man at age 65, he just paid $40,000 a year in premium for four years and then made the policy pay its own premium, okay? He didn't RPU, reduce paid up, premium offset, paid from policy values, different terminology, but this is not an RPU, reduced paid up policy, which is a contractual right 
that you have in whole life insurance. It does not exist in universal life. <clears throat> you can exchange the cash value at that point in time. Really, it's after seven years, right? Um, you can tell the life insurance company as a non-forfeiture option, here, take my cash value, reduce the death benefit, and now I have an exchange for a reduced paid up policy. So the death benefit is reduced. You can't pay a premium. It's done. It'll continue to, no, wait, some companies continue to pay a dividend on an RPU policy, and some do not. Insurance agent, I'm sure you didn't know that. Thank you very much. You can send me pleasant comments, okay? Um, but you can't undo that. That's not what, that is not, that is not what is happening here. The man quit paying a premium. The 15000 base policy paid up at age 65 is continuing to be paid through PUA surrenders. Mm -hmm. That's what's going on there. And if you look at that, that's pretty darn good. Yes, it was printed in 2000. Yes, it's a direct recognition company. Yes, dividends have come down. Interest rates have come down. Blah, 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 blah. But compared to what? I'll guarantee you Nelson had pushback in 2000 comparing this to what all the stock market return gurus were talking about mm. i'll guarantee you had lots of prospective clients saying well i can do better what's that interest rate what's that rate of return <laughs> this life insurance or whatever they were saying okay but i just want to look at age 36 i'm sorry year 36 age 65 that dividend was seventy one thousand nine hundred dollars if you go out far enough you're not even going to believe these numbers and you know it Go to illustration number two, page 59. The only difference here is he started financing a truck in year five. And then he did it every four years. So the $1,500 a month at 15% interest or whatever it is that was going to Associates Finance, now it goes back to the life insurance company. And when the loan is paid off, because it's going to be paid off sooner than 48 months, that additional cash flow goes to PUA. Look, the guy didn't cut down any more trees. He doesn't cut down any less trees. He didn't buy any more trucks. He didn't hire any more employees. He didn't work any harder. He didn't work any longer. You know, he didn't take less vacations. All he did was start financing one truck every four years himself. That's all he did. Yeah. Okay. Now go down there to his age, 65. The dividend's $95,000. You tell me the dividend scale changed? No, the insurance company looked at him and said, oh my gosh, this is a smart boy. Let's send him some additional dividends. <laughs> no, that additional capital caused additional dividends forever. And if you could isolate that, it's very difficult. If I just paid a premium, a difference in premium in any one year of a policy. So, <clears throat> I mean, I'm an illustration ninja and I know some of the, uh, the, the best illustration ninjas live right here. <laughs> I'm just saying... You can build an illustration that all things are equal except one year additional PUA premium. All right. In whatever year you mm. want to. Every year after that. So the only difference in the illustration is one year you're paying additional PUA into a policy. Every year after that, dividends are going to be greater. So you don't just affect the dividends in one year. You affect dividends in every year into the future. Mm -hmm. So if that's true, and it is. Why wouldn't I want to pay as much premium as possible? Okay, so look, that's a substantial difference. He, he financed one truck every four years. Illustration number three, age 65, after financing two trucks, right? There's a $117,000 dividend. 
That's more than 95,000, which is more than 71,000, 72,000, 71.9, round it up. And I say this while we're on illustration number one, looking at that $71,900 dividend. See that net cash value at age 65, 1.5 million. Illustration number two is about 2 million, 1.988, rounded. Illustration number three, it's 2.459. 2.5 million rounded. It's $500,000 in additional cash value rounded every time he finances more equipment. Mm-hmm. Every time, the more cash flow, the more he uses his policy to finance. So there's no magic in loans, is what you were saying earlier. Just because he's financing does not make this policy better, no question. It's the cash flow that was going to the third party lender now goes back to the life insurance company. And uh, awful lot of that cash flow is, quote unquote, additional interest. It was interest that was going to the third party lender. Now it's going to his policy. Well, James, you can go get financing at 2%, 1.9, 3%. Why in the world would I do this now? You know, arbitrage is arbitrage. No question. That's simple math. You know, uh, let me see. Eight is smaller than 15. No kidding. Eight percent interest that the life insurance company was charging compared to 15 or whatever it was that Associates was financing. Mm-hmm. So do you ever run into that? Why would I do that now? I can go I can go borrow money at 1.9 or 2.9 or whatever I do it is. run into I had a big conversation with some uh, and it's yeah it's over and over again but um, <laughs> I, I have had this conversation recently and it it, it kind of comes back to the whole idea of why would I use the insurance company's money when I got cash laying around right here? You know, why pay any interest at all? <coughs> uh, and at the at the end of the day, so I'm thinking of one particular uh, client, uh, maybe late 40s, early 50s, can't remember exactly off the top of my head. Uh, small family, doing well, both parents employed, uh, kids are adults, uh, nothing for passive cash flow time. What? Yeah. And so, welcome to America. That that right there is about eighty five percent of America. Beyond Social Security, there's nothing for passive income time in retirement. Yeah, nothing, and and debt. You know, some credit card debt, personal loans. Yeah. Well, money's cheap. Let's spend it now, right? Yeah, we're yeah. going to pay back with depreciating dollars. <laughs> yeah, I've heard uh, lots of arguments from very astute businessmen and people, but yeah. Uh, and so it, it the, the one of the main not obstacles but points to address has been the concern you know what why, why don't we they had been paying down this debt for a period of years and there was some left over but still a substantial chunk yeah and and the the idea was okay well if your goal is to have a substantial asset base, substantial capital, substantial financial value later in life to finance your lifestyle. Like if the goal is to have passive cash flow later in life, then we have to prioritize the capital accumulation over the conventional debt repayment. Like the the, the capitalization has to come first, meaning you got to pay the premium, you have to capitalize the contract first. And then there's a transition process where you, you build up enough cash value, you take policy loans and clear out the third party uh, convention. I got criticism for calling conventional lenders third party lenders. It's like, what's third party about it? Fair point. Conventional lenders, right? there's a process of transferring over conventional debt to the life insurance company and paying down those loans. Really? And what's, yeah. 
I mean, fair enough. Third, who's first, who's second? You know, it's like, fair enough. <laughs> I got it. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and so it's, I, I continue to point out to this individual that, um, you know, what, what we're getting by paying the premium is the initiation of that capitalization process. We're building up financial value, right? Debt, put it this way, conventional debt repayment is good because the idea is it will free up capital, right? If we have, if we have everything else equal, if we have less debt, right, less on the liability side of the ledger, then the difference between assets and liability means more capital, I'm better off, right? That's why debt repayment in a conventional sense would be a good thing. Well, and it could produce free cash flow. And, and my, my point to this gentleman was we don't want to we don't we don't want to put the cart before the horse, right? We don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. You don't want to prioritize conventional debt repayment at the expense of no optimal question. capitalization, yeah. right? You need to develop the capital base first, right? Okay, so what's the alternative? Well, if we don't prioritize the premium and prioritize the policy and prioritize one's own capital and instead we take the next however long three four five years however long it takes to first prioritize somebody else's debt i'm sorry prioritize somebody else's capital pay off the conventional debt first then what we're not doing the opportunity cost of doing that is the missed capitalization the missed appreciation in financial value that could have been occurring for those years yeah Right, and so if you repay the conventional debt first, which okay, I mean, I have a good friend uh, who likes IBC, but it's like we're paying the debt back first. Sure, paying. I was like, okay, I mean, do that. What you're missing out on is those initial years of capitalization, upon which, like you say, with the dividends, all future growth will occur. Yeah, is that's all true? And to illustrate that, I have historically just taken an exponential curve. If you look at Nelson calls it the startup uh, cost, right? He, he equates to buying life insurance, going into business, starting a business. And here in equipment financing, the man pays $40,000 in premium and he has 24,000 roughly in cash value at the end of the first year. All right, so there's a loss of liquidity. You can't get around that. Right. right. So if you're gonna pay off debt first, prioritizing somebody else's capital, which is exactly what you're doing, at the expense of yours, and you give up that time period that you could have been accumulating capital. So just on a graph, and, and now like all across social media, this these graphs are gonna come up and of available, course. of course. You just take a flat line, zero, right? And, and at the on the left side, exponential curve, on the left side of the ledger, there's gonna be a loss of liquidity, premium to cash value, it's going to be negative for some time period mm -hmm. beyond four years on a correctly structured policy today. I don't care what the the examples are that come up to the right of the screen facing that you're facing. Okay, there's going to be a negative time period. If I put in forty and I have access to twenty five, that's a net net loss. So, do we really want to talk about the four percent interest guarantee <laughs> that that the big four pay? Yeah. And if that's true and it's not true. And I want to buy a 90-10 policy. I only want it the 4% guaranteed on the smallest portion of the premium. <laughs> I mean, if you just think through that whole idea, it uh, doesn't hold water. It's all a fallacy. My point here is there's some point in time in the future that as I pay a premium, there's going to be an equal or greater gain or increase in cash value. 
and then every year I go out into the future that gets greater and greater and greater. It turns into an exponential curve. Mm-hmm. So every year that I wait, prioritizing somebody else's capital as opposed to mine, I'm just pushing that down the road. I'm not avoiding the startup cost. What I'm actually doing is cutting off the very most beneficial part of that policy. The most efficient part of that policy was at the other end, the right side of the exponential curve. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Can't you just close your eyes and see that? I mean, I can. And if you can, you need to call my office. (laughs) Get going. Quit waiting. But now, look, they, uh, and, and let me continue on that, that what you're saying and what we're saying is absolutely true. And then to, to dumb it down or to, to hide what's going on in life insurance, um, and then for lack of a, a superior way to convey the power of the infinite banking concept, we have all of these examples of people using here, get out of debt, get out of debt with life insurance. Like this is the only way to get out of debt or this is the only thing that you can do with life insurance. Mm-hmm is to get out of debt. And I think we've talked about this before. So can you do this? Can I capitalize a policy, i.e. pay premium, build cash value forever, create that exponential curve forever? You know, it's life insurance policy. Think about this. It's on your life. Your whole life, you've created an exponential curve that mirrors your life. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's wrong with that? Nothing. Okay. Um, Can I capitalize a policy build cash value, and get out of debt at the same time? Or should I wait to get out of debt and then pay a premium? This is an argument that's gone on for 20 years that I'm aware of in the infinite banking world, right? Um, And it's really, how is that demonstrated sometimes is what helps people make a decision to to capitalize a policy before getting out of debt. And Either way is okay. Whatever fits you and whatever's best for you and your family is what you should do. Um, I don't subscribe to the idea that, that that you should use life insurance or you should purchase life insurance or you should start becoming your own banker to get out of debt. You didn't accumulate all of that substantial debt. Your client, my client, whoever's listening, you did not accumulate all of that debt because you have uber discipline. Mm-hmm. Right now, I I agree that we're all born into this debt construct, you know, and the the odds are stacked against you from the very beginning. So I'm not trying to beat you up or be ugly, but you've got to like show some discipline. You've got to muster some discipline, right? Yeah. And if you do, and you master those cash flows to somebody else's, you're prioritizing their money over yours. Yeah. You know, some slight adjustments. With discipline, you can't do this quick enough, in my opinion. Right? And you, it's okay to dip your toes in. If you've got 27 credit cards, you know, it's okay to start small. Think big, but start small, mm-hmm. right, to get started, to develop yeah, the discipline. The, these particular, in this particular case, these folks had made, like I said earlier, they had repaid some of that debt. So it was really just a, and they were kind of used to that, right? A certain yeah. cash flow each month going toward it. It's really just a matter of redirecting that one to uh, to the life insurance company. But then you can't do that quick enough. Listen, I, I've uh, talked to a lot of people over the years, and um, it's sad, but and it's just an educational or ignorance. You don't know what you don't know, kind of a thing. Where I mean, I've had lots of potential clients list their credit limit as an asset. You know, when you say they become accustomed to it 
on purpose. You know, we a lot of us have become accustomed to carrying this uber amount of debt. Yeah. With low interest rates, it's like I can borrow all the operating capital I need. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm not I'm not willing to think outside the box or go without or, you know, do what's required to build capital when I have access to capital, somebody else's capital, the third party lender. Right, I'm going to prioritize. I'm number one. My family's number two. Or, you know, whatever. Yeah. My family's number one. I'm number two. The third party lender. I mean, we're ranking them pretty high, giving them number three. My opinion. Right, I'm just saying that um, it's easy when when access to capital is inexpensive. I mean, right. well, hell, why not? Why should we charge more than two percent if if it didn't exist until you signed and you collateralized? You know, the loan. I mean, so I understand that, that, that we're all very comfortable or can be comfortable. It's alluring to be able to enjoy a good or service now and pay later when interest rates are so low. And unless that habit is broke or changed, you're going to wind up in complete subservient to the lender. You know, complete, uh, it, it's really prison, financial prison in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But my point here is that if you start small, Right. It is okay to start small and develop these habits. And so just take over part of your debt, is what I'm saying. Dip your toes in and grow from there. So, going back to your original question about, you know, why would I go borrow at five or eight when I can get conventional debt at two? Yeah. yeah. You know, my answer to that question has become your passive cash flow later in life. That's the that that's the difference, right? You, you go ahead, skip the capitalization, skip the skip starting that capitalization process all day. You know, you can go go get the cheaper money out there. That's even if we suppose that the two percent from the auto lender is a legitimate two percent, which is probably not. But that's what we're you know this is the opportunity cost. Mm-hmm. It's all this capitalization, right? When we're not just using IBC to get out of debt. Right, it's it's not just a, a debt weapon. Oh, I hate this term. On, on, on <laughs> you know, I, I have this toolbox of debt weapons. It's like okay, commando. You know, uh, <laughs> listen, I agree. That's that's a legitimate benefit. But you know, between now and then, it's uh, let's look at the divorce rate, heart attacks, health. You know, what's a what's a number one cause of poor declining health? Stress, maybe, big contributing factor. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the number one cause of stress? Yeah, money problems. Money problems. So, and if I kind of go back to the the idea that you know I get it, money's cheap, two percent. Why would I do that? You know, because I can and I can do more and you know pay back with maybe the auto lender will give you dollars. passive cash flow at age sixty six at two percent. No, you know they're right? not. <laughs> Neither is your bank. You know, your bank pays dividends; they just don't pay them to you because you're not the bank owner. Okay, so. Um, how about we, we get ourselves into this position where we're dang near addicted to this cheap money, mm. quote unquote money, right? And now you tell me how many notes and loans are callable. All of them. Very few of them. You can talk about these non-recourse loans all day long, and I know they exist, and I know they're out there, but you probably don't have them. <laughs> okay. So um, what happens when I'm over leveraged? You know, and the, the bankers, the lenders start showing up. That's when assets start swapping hands, right? Now, okay, so let's say that, that I don't mind being part of the big problem, 
as far as a fraction reserve banking system, those digits and dollars didn't exist until I signed my John Henry on that loan agreement. Then the digits are created out of thin air, right? And then they're leveraged 10 to 1, right? I, I'm addressing my part. I'm acknowledging my part in that and your part if we do that. And let's say I do that and I'm buying houses or equipment or whatever it is I'm doing. I'm causing my cash flows to go up and my profits to go up because I have access to all that cheap money. But things don't go up forever, right? They, to me, I mean, and the, the Austrians have been saying, you can't kick it down the road forever. Oh, man, they can kick it down the road for a dang long time. <laughs> but invariably, some unknown thing happens, whether it's in the economy or in your personal economy, in your business, right? Something, and I hope not nothing, I hope everything good happens in your life forever. But when things go wrong and there's never a problem till there's a problem, but then when the problem happens and you, all of a sudden, your access to capital is limited, you know, your credit limits are cut in half, right? Oh, your HELOC, yeah, you have a $100,000 HELOC, $30,000 balance, well, that's your new limit is what mm -hmm. you have on there, 30,000. Oh, your credit card, you have a $15,000 limit, oh, now we're gonna reduce your limit to 7,500 and we're gonna increase your minimum payment. So what, you tell me, what is wrong with having access to too much capital? <laughs> if nothing else, I want to have access to enough capital that I can keep the third-party lenders at bay. Something does go wrong, I can control my leverage. Right. Right now, when you get addicted to that, oh my gosh, it's Katie bar the door. Yeah. I've said no. it many times, and, and, I, and I say it, it means something to me. It's very emotional, and, and as we grow or, or age, you know, these things have maybe a greater impression. And what do I mean by that? You know, when I was 20 years old, I thought my dad was a smart guy. You know, when he was 30, I was pretty sure he was a smart guy. At 40, I know damn well he was a smart guy. The older I got, the smarter he got. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, he told me many times. He said, James, when I was a young man, I used to go to the banker with my hat in my hand. And as he aged and got older, and he was very successful in what he did. He's like, now the bankers come to me with their hat in their hand. What is that worth? And where can you put that in the illustration? You can't. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's really, you know, if we're stuck on cheap money conventionally or life insurance money at whatever the loan rate is, if that's what we're stuck on, and it's like we really want to repay this debt because that's what we've been trained to do, right? People, the... How ironic, you know, Wall Street has trained people as best they can to be profligate when it comes to getting a whole bunch of consumer debt and then disciplined to pay it back. It's like, <laughs> what better way to control people, right? You know, he, go well, throw go a little get, fear in there. Go get as much as you can, <laughs> but make sure to repay it back, right? Yeah. Uh, to, How to much the, collateral to you have, lenders, boy? Right? To Wall Street. Oh, uh, my gosh. It's like if that's if, if that's where we are, you know, what are you doing to replicate that kind of curve? What do you do? Where's the capitalization process? Well, I can put money in the stock market, right, and collateralize that. Yeah, I can borrow against that, this is where most went, qualified plans. And this is where it went with this guy. It's like you know, I'm telling you, I don't know if aggressive is the right word. We we talk about aggressive, conservative in terms of like investing psychology, and it's, I don't like using the same terminology because it's it's not really being any more aggressive, just paying a higher premium, you know, but if you, if you want to get, I was telling these people, if you want to get to a point where you have substantial cash value later in life to, you know, finance a commensurate lifestyle, uh, 
you got to go pretty hard, right? You got to pay as much premium as the companies are going to let you pay. And you know, and that I'm not telling them that he needs to do that, you know. But you tell me that your goal is to have significant assets later in life to finance a, a lifestyle down the road. Well, then this is the answer. You know, you got to pony up some premium and what? You know, go big or go. And my point to him was <laughs> go big or go home. <laughs> yeah, my my point to him was you know, dividend paying whole life built this way is really the only asset that can provide us a, a, a pathway to his desired goal, which was a you know substantial asset value later in life right where else are you going to do it you're going to go put you know as much of his income as we were talking you know large a large percentage of income into the stock market you know into some other into real estate some other non-guaranteed asset cryptocurrency man yeah okay well what (laughs) happens to your degree of confidence in the future value of that whatever it is real estate it's not there okay well that future uncertainty restricts how aggressive you can be, right? That's the whole principle behind risk mitigation and uh, diversification, right? We can only do so much because the future's uncertain. Who knows what will happen? Well, in life insurance, we have guarantees. And if we know what's going on, and we, then we'll know what to do. And it's as, it's as, it becomes a, a function of your understanding and your available financial resources, and that's it. So my, my point to him was only with IBC can we get you to where you want to go on solid grounding, right? Everything else would require a gamble of some sort, right? Reliance on some uncertain asset price in the future. At least here, this is a track to run on, you know. Well, it's not limiting too. I mean, we can, we can say I like real estate and I do. Say I like being in business and I do. Both of the, any, any endeavor in business requires capital tell me one endeavor that doesn't require capital yeah. i mean then you might can find a couple but in general I'm, real estate requires capital yours or somebody else's and i get somebody else's money um i mean what doesn't require capital today a household requires anything that i want to do requires capital mm-hmm. so where are you getting the capital where is it residing i mean it's so simple so this is not in in, in exclusion, it's not an either or. It's not a. It's not a zero sum game. Yeah. So if I can coll- and if I have an asset, I can collateralize an asset if there's a value. Oh, and you're just pointing out that there's a guaranteed value in the future mm-hmm. compared to a non guaranteed value in the future. Speculative, assumptive, right? So I can whatever it is, a tractor, cows, yeah. whatever. I can. Like it's the, an lo- asset. the logger didn't pay a premium or run his business. No. Did both. He just became in. Listen, we should all be in two businesses. And I said that earlier. Whatever it is you do for a living, and then you should finance it. Oh, if you're a household and you're not in business, you're you should run your household like a business. It should be funner. But, <laughs> well, that implies business and fun. So, um, I'm just saying that you can become your own banker. In that, compared to everything else that you do in the real world, is a real comparison. Right, and everything we do is compared to everybody else. Now, listen, if they're going backwards, 10 or 15%, mm. 35% out of every dollar is going right through your hands in the form of third-party lending costs, all right? And so you're going backwards. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm going forward, right, and I'm practicing becoming my own banker, and I enjoy the equivalent of that 35%, 
I, that's the comparison. I'm 35% ahead. You're 35% backwards. That's a 70% difference. Yeah. I don't care what kind of math you want to talk about or what kind of asset that you want to talk about. That's a comparison. And then who does all the results accrue to? Yeah, well, if you're negative, you're negative. If you're positive, you're positive. It's like, it, it's pretty easy. Well, I hope I hope we brought clarity to equipment financing, and I'm not convinced that we did, but we added clarity anyway. I mean, I think that helps. I, mean, I think that common question about, you know, paying more and and quote-unquote paying more in interest, right? We're not paying more in interest. You're just paying premium at the same time or over the same period as when you're making a loan repayment. But it comes up a lot. Hopefully that helps. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Yeah, I had fun. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.